Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Mile Marker 131. I'm Gumby. And I'm Teresa. And it is a chilly day. It's nice and clear and sunny, but we're sitting right in the middle of the sun, and it is still chilly. So we're just going to make, we're just going to roll with it. And we just noticed something this morning that I never noticed before. Have you ever noticed that when you're standing next to shade, but you're totally in the sun, that it is slightly colder, even though you're completely in the sun, no shade on your body, than if you're standing in the middle of like a field with yeah. sun. And I, I told you, I was like, wow, I really feel a difference. And maybe, maybe I have known that, but it just doesn't stick in the front of my mind. Yeah. Oh, oh breeze is picking up. We better talk loud. And, uh, you know, I just got a theory on that. I don't think I had before. What if it's the air in the shade? That's, you know, like yeah. the air coming out of a refrigerator yeah. or refrigerator, I as I like to call it. That's what I would think. All right. So, one thing I wanted to start this episode off while we're talking about cold is, this is a quote I came to uh, recently from Henry Rollins, and I love this quote. Go without a coat when it's cold. Find out what cold is. Go hungry. Keep your existence lean. Wear away the fat. Get down to the lean tissue and see what it's all about. The only time you define your character is when you go without In times of hardship, you find out what you're made of and what you're capable of. If you're never tested, you'll never define your character. Nice. And I just felt like that was such a good sentiment for the hobo lifestyle. Um, Not saying uh, Teresa and I do well with all that stuff, but that is also our aspiration. Um, It was interesting, the go hungry part, um, because one of the things, I forget where I read it, but I've uh, encountered this information a couple times at least, that if you want to extend an animal, including our lifespan, one of the most reliable ways to extend a lifespan is to introduce periods of hunger. Hmm. Wow. Our bodies are designed to fast, to flush out things. Ooh, I just thought about Jesus saying, you know, his two things, right? We're uh, fasting and prayer. To drive out the, the big things, the big bad things, yeah. Well, what do you mean the big bad things? Well, it was, it was like a up, purging thing for him. It was a it was brought up that um, like this this person in the Bible, they had like a a really bad demon in them and all the disciples couldn't drive out the demon. But Jesus could. And and that was his answer is like, oh, that took like fasting and prayer. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about the fast. I don't know if what Jesus said is related to this or not. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that our bodies are designed to do without that it actually extends our lifespan. It's healthy. It's good for us. It's not just like a hardship. So, uh, yeah. I just got to add that this, <laughs> uh, respectfully, this crazy woman that we met uh, this past <laughs> respectfully summer. Respectfully crazy. Respectfully, all right? Um, from one crazy person to another. Takes one to know <laughs> one. 
she contacted me and just recently, and one of the things she asked was like, "Do you know anything about water fasting?" And we had just watched uh, the last season of Alone, where Juan Pablo won the competition by. Oh yeah, spoilers by <laughs> um, by fasting, like intentionally. Poor weasel. Poor weasel. And uh, here, this woman just is like, "Do you know anything about water fasting?" And I, I said, "I've never done it." And uh, so I looked some stuff up for her because she was running out of data on her phone, and um, sent her information. And I just, I said like one to three days at the most, but take it day by day. That's what the website said. This bitch did an eight-day water fast, and she's going to be 71 sometime soon. 71 years old. And you might think, like, oh, well, you know, old people, their metabolism slows down as you get older. But, I mean, this woman is uh, she, she's, she's a little extra special, different crazy. Yeah, now I got a couple thoughts on that. Do you have any uh, impression whether she's had a lifetime of doing stuff like this or whether this is like some kind of uh, late life crisis of trying to extend her life? That is a good question. Because I wonder if she's 71 and still doing this shit because she's the kind of person. Because that's a, a doing without too. I wonder, you know, yeah. our culture always tells us more and more. And if it's too much of something, it's never do without. It's okay, take these vitamins, take these supplements, take something else. You know, it's always keep the cup over brimming full, the cup being your body or your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if she's had a long habit of making a practice of experimenting with doing without. Because even though she had a lot by our standards, she was camping, 71, by herself in the woods, like pretty remote. Um, she had a whole setup. But still, <laughs> that's not what everybody in their 70s could do and wrap their mind around. She got in the creek. I mean, she didn't show me what, what she was doing, but she showed how um, and where in the creek she got in to bathe. Mm-hmm. How many 70-year-old people do you think like go into creeks and bathe around here? And she looked pretty good naked, I'd say. Oh, come on. You didn't. No, she didn't actually show us like when <laughs> she was bathing, but yeah. <laughs> so I want to finish my thoughts on cold, and then I'm going to kick the ball over to you, Teresa. Okay, that's fair. So one of the things, another thought I had on this Harry Rollins quote and like letting in the cold, see what it is, is I'm currently reading a book that uh, I'm only a couple chapters in, but so far I'd highly recommend it. It's really interesting. And it's called A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, Evolution and the Challenges of Modern Life by Heather Haying and Brett Weinstein. That racist. Brett Weinstein has come out quite a bit about vaccines and the lockdown um, and he also was uh, famous in the news for the uh, scandal at Evergreen. Do you remember what year that was? I don't. But they were going to have, they had this day where like, um, what was it? Black people would stay out. And it was meant to, based on a book, I think maybe by James Baldwin, that was meant to show white people all the things black people did for them that they might take for granted. So that they would miss like, oh man, like, oh, there's that black janitor and nobody's cleaning the toilets or that black student that like used to sit beside me. And now there's this empty chair and our class is half empty and it feels, you know, whatever. But uh, they decided one year to reverse it and to instead ask the white people to stay home, a day that white people aren't allowed to come to school. So <laughs> Brett Weinstein alone among the staff stood up and said, that's racist. Yeah. Like it's one thing for black people to voluntarily not come. It's another thing to target another race and exclude them. 
And this got such a student reaction at Evergreen that they pretty much mobbed this guy. Like he was, uh, he was held captive for yeah. many hours. He got threats. He eventually, like the cops said, they couldn't protect him. And he eventually had to leave. But anyway, Brett Weinstein. So and He's an evolutionary biologist, I think. He is an evolutionary biologist, and so is his wife. Oh. And um, so the, the cold got, you know, letting in the cold, letting in the hunger. I ran into this, and I'm just going to read a short piece from this book that, uh, of course, you're going to see why I liked it. It's called The Corrective Lens. Listen to your body, remembering that pain evolved to protect you. Pain is information about the environment and how your body is responding to it. Some injuries require professional treatment, but some can be monitored without intervention. Pain is both unpleasant and adaptive. Think twice before shutting down its message. Move your body every day. Take walks. Mix it up. Don't do the same thing all the time and don't move your body in the same way whenever you move it. And at least sometimes move intensely and move outside where the stakes are higher. Spend time in nature. The less constructed and controlled, the better. This has many benefits, among them the dawning recognition that you cannot control everything in your life, and that experiencing discomfort, even the slight discomforts of a too warm day or rain for which you are unprepared, calibrates your appreciation for other aspects of your life. Be barefoot as often as possible. Calluses are nature's shoes, and they do a far better job of transmitting tactile information to your brain than do shoes. Resist pharmaceutical solutions for medical problems if you can. While antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, and more improve some people's lives, they are often not the best solution. Usually there are alternatives available. Many mood disorders, such as depression, are beginning to be understood by Western medicine to be treatable with diet, ample sleep, and regular activity. Look out for mismatched diseases. Are you going to read those to you? Yeah. Oh. Why? You impatient? Mm, a little. Well, you just better get patient. <laughs> Look out for mismatched diseases, such as adult-onset diabetes, atherosclerosis, and gout. These are diseases that reflect an inconsistency between one of your environments of evolutionary adaptedness and your current life. They also tend to reflect affluence compared to your evolutionary past. For at least some of these, bringing your modern behavior closer to that scene in an older EEA, that was Environments of Evolutionary Adaptedness, could help mitigate the damage. I know that was kind of dry and scientific, that last one. One more. <laughs> one more, Teresa. Can you bear with me? Okay. All right. Consider this informal test to assess certain types of ailments and whether a modern fix is called for. In environments similar to the one I am living in, did people suffer from this ailment prior to modern medicine? If yes, a novel solution is warranted. If no, look to history for the solution. Take rickets as an example. For someone of European heritage living in the Pacific Northwest, did people suffer from rickets in such northern latitudes in the past? One type of answer is that evidence suggests that at least some populations of northern Europeans did not suffer from this condition. Seek answers there. Remember the Vikings and their cod. A second type of answer is that native people in the Pacific Northwest did not suffer from rickets. What worked for them might not work for someone who is not of native heritage, but it well might. Look to ge ge look to ge I think he misspelled that. Look to geography, local his look to geographically local history for solutions. Okay, I got it. Yeah, that was a little bit longer. I admit it than I thought it was. But anyway, I'll, why did you bring it? Up? Let me tie this up. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to get to that, Teresa. So, um. Well, you let me talk. Now you forgot, made me forget. Now it's going to take longer. Good Lord. So, 
Why I brought it up is one of the things I liked about that list, and I, <laughs> I know it was long, you might have got lost, but so much of it is what we're already doing. Hmm. So, you know, of course, that was kind of on a validation level, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brett Weinstein agrees with it, so. Or Weinstein, whichever one, because yeah. I don't really know. Brett Weiney. Brett Anyway, I kick the ball over to you. What you going to do with it? You going to uh, read us something long and dry and boring like I did? I'm going to try. Speaking right. of uh, racist, have you heard about that story in the news where there's this old, presumably white male? Joe he, Biden? No. No, a different one in Texas um, that was a middle school teacher. You said he was racist, right? He did. He you said, sure it's not Joe Biden? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, this Texas teacher outside of Austin um, like admitted to this group of kids that he was, uh, ethnocentric and a racist and he was being filmed. And I imagine he had to have like the thought, oh, you could see the thought crossing his mind (laughs) as one of the students in the room has their phone out and he's like, put your phone away now. Teresa, uh you haven't even told the listeners what he did. What are they, what's the phone out recording? (laughs) That he said he admitted that he was an ethnocentric person and racist. So anyway, I just, this story, um, at first it was like, what? Come on. Like there's gotta be something else to this story. So we saw the video and it, it looked like this old white dude teacher um, was very calmly explaining like how he really honestly, truly felt deep down. Like he was trying to be honest with the kids. And, and for that, he was either fired or he was put on administrative leave and resigned. I really can't tell, but something happened. How was he trying to be honest with the kids? Um, he was saying that deep down here, I'll tell you what, I'll just read the transcript here. So the teacher says on the video, deep down in my heart, I'm ethnocentric, which means I think my race is the superior one. And he said it just real calm, not exactly like that, but real calm. And the kids are like, oh, like, oh, snap and laughing and just like kind of jumping up and around. And the teacher says, let me finish. And a kid says, so white is better than all. And the teacher says, let me finish. I think everybody thinks that. They're just not honest about it. Another kid says, hey, I'm not racist, though. I like all types of kinds, which I like. I've never said all types of kinds, but I think I might start using that. And the teacher says to that student, did I say I don't like people? And another kid in the video says, so wait, you said you are what? You are a racist? And the teacher says, I think everybody is a racist at that level. And it goes on from there. But since we've been reading a lot, I will stop and just ask you, Gumby, what your feelings and thoughts were. I guess feelings don't really... Well, don't cut it short, because I remember you were trying to tell me this information earlier, and it sounded like you had some interesting stuff, and I uh, wouldn't let you share it with me, because I wanted to hear it fresh on the podcast. I was just going to break it up a little bit. Yeah, because one of the, you know, I said one of the weaknesses with our podcast is we talk about everything ahead of time, so I'm trying to find, like, ways that we can, uh, yeah, share information better on the podcast. But what was your question? My question was, (laughs) when you first heard this story, 
what did you think? What was your like? Okay. Your, your snap judgment of it. Well, that? that's not really fair because I first heard it on the Matt Walsh show, so already he was kind of like bringing it up, debunking it for me. But the headline is obviously meant to lead you to believe that white supremacist uh, claims racism in class. Period. So you're picturing, you know, like something very Nazi, yeah, or, like yeah, and very aggressive. But then you see the video, and it's like. What I think watching the video is I don't think this guy was being racist. I'm not going to say he wasn't racist because that's his whole premise. He's uh, I'm not going to argue with him. If he says he's racist, yeah. I guess he's racist. Um, I, I feel like he was picking a wrong battle. He It was uh, clumsy. He was trying to be very honest, and I find it sad that honest people tend to come to bad ends more and more in this culture. But uh, so I felt bad for the guy. I think he was trying to be really honest and let that come through to the kids and teach them something really deep. But I think, unfortunately, the guy was also kind of woke. So the woke kind of have set this trap that all white people are already racist. And so you're supposed to admit you're racist. That's really all you can do. You can't really make amends other than uh, admitting that you are what they say you are. But... This guy seemed to be kind of trying to admit he was racist, and uh, then they'll hang you for that. So, yeah. poor bastard. Yeah, and indeed, he like he goes on in the video to say to the kid, or to the children in the class, yeah, I did say that he was a racist. He says, I'm trying to be honest. No, I'm not saying it again. I've said it enough, because they kept on trying to, like the kids kept on trying to have the teacher say that he was a racist again. So the teacher says, I've said it enough. And a kid says, so you are racist. And that's when the teacher is like, <laughs> oh, shit. And he says calmly again, like, put your phone up. And a kid says, and then the, and then the, the tide's really turning um, on this teacher. So one kid says, I actually respected you for a while, but like now I don't even got no more respect for you. And another kid chimes in right after that. And says, for real, I don't think I got respect for him no more. See, I think these kids have grown up with uh, in the see something, say something, mm -hmm. uh, sensationalized shit on social media culture. And I think they missed a really fucking good opportunity. You already read the part where he said, uh, I think you should respect me more. No, right? that was a, the very next line. The teacher okay, says, well, you know, you should have you should have more respect. Yeah, so the teacher is telling him, like, when the kids are saying, I don't think I respect you anymore, I agree with this guy. If you were wiser, which, of course, they're kids, this is why I say the guy chose the wrong battle. He was yeah. expecting wisdom from kids. Um, kids just don't have a lot of wisdom. Kids have a lot to share, a lot going for them, but wisdom is, as you pointed out in an episode, Teresa, yeah. it may be something as simple as, like, how long you've been here. A, a collection of experience is wisdom. How could a kid have much of that? Yeah. So they missed a brilliant opportunity. He is somebody they should have respected more. And if you keep shooting down the honest people just because you don't like what they have to say, you're going to be left with a fucked up situation. That's what, I mean, don't you often feel like when you go out in the culture, you're surrounded by dishonest people? Well, it's like one time really early on in our podcast, like maybe the first season, we talked about people that um, 
Well, like if you apply for a job, you have to take this like psychology test. That's exactly what it was making me think and of. And it the weeds ethic out. Tech. It weeds out honest people that would say like, yeah, I would steal money if like my mother was dying and she needed, uh, you know, some sort of medicine or something. Yeah, when I was younger, a teenager, I read the uh, Leather Stocking Tales. Some people are familiar with one of the five uh, stories, Last of the Mohicans, by James Fenimore Cooper, and the main character, Natty Bumpo, in that will not lie. He will risk his life. He will die before he lies. He is such a pure and honest character, and that inspired me. And for a while, I tried to be as honest as I possibly could. First thing I ran into that really challenged me and I realized I had to lie was cops. I was doing things I didn't think there were anything wrong with, uh, there was anything wrong with, like smoke weed. Hmm. And I knew when a cop showed up, not only would I be risking my life but my friend's life for a stupid law. So that was the first time I remember like, all right, I can't be honest here. I got to play the game. Second time was those tests you're talking about. Trying to get a job and they're asking questions and all it does, like you said, is weed out the honest people. How stupid is that? How does nobody see that? Yeah. And I agree with you. Like um, this teacher, he, he seemed to be trying to be honest. And unfortunately, it was just not not the right timing and not the, the white, the white. (laughs) (laughs) It was not the white time for this guy. It was not the white way. (laughs) Um, It was not the right way. (laughs) They showed him white out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So, all right. So that was like the end of the first video segment that we saw with the, with Matt Walsh kind of, Uh, doing the commentary for us and and telling us what we should think. And no offense to Matt Walsh, but this is a perfect example, this story of why I think you can't just listen to people, watch things. And I know it seems like it shouldn't have to be said, but you've got to keep your brain on. You've got to keep your brain on because there were other videos that I don't know if it was the same kid, maybe like, you know, they could only take two minute long videos or something on their phone at a time. So I saw another section of this conversation and the teacher says, or first the kid says, so you are a racist. And the teacher says, damn, how many times do I got to say it? And a kid says, are you cussing at me? And the teacher says, no. I think he says, I'm not cussing at anyone. He says, I'm frustrated with this conversation. And the kid says, well, you started it. And the teacher says, you asked the question. And uh, then this kid says, well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm famous. And I'm going to put this on the internet. And it happens to be like this rapper guy's kid in the class. What was his name? Oh, like the rapper's name is um something like 808 Mob something. And then Sounds his, legit. And then his kid's name, like his kid already has a Instagram account or something it, or whatever, is called Baby Sizzle. <laughs> Sounds like Baby Sizzle is an entitled little bitch. I mean, it's possible, but so this is this possible. Is, I'm famous. Yeah. I'm gonna put that's a stuck up little bitch. Yeah. I mean, but they're kids, you know. It's hard for them to, like... Hopefully they'll grow out of it, but a kid can be a stuck-up little bitch. It's hard for kids to really have good role models when, like, all the... 
adults around them are losing their fucking mind. Oh, I agree. And I'm much more forgiving with kids because kids are constantly changing. Adults are more, you know, like, eh, I don't see many adults change in any fundamental way. But I still think it's like a kid acting like a brat. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean he is a brat. It means you're acting like a brat. So this kid was acting like a stuck-up little see. bitch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So the teacher says, uh, you guys do what you need to do. Meaning, like, yeah, sure, put it on the internet, fine. I think he'd fine. I think he'd... It had sunk in, like, oh, that was a bad move. And so the teacher goes on to say, you guys don't think I've made peace with all this stuff? I'm trying to explain something I've learned in my life. And further he says... You'll, you think I'm still walking around and then the recording shuts off. So at one point also, um, just to be like fair and and clear about these videos, the teacher starts to say something to the kids and he's like, it's un, and a kid calls him on it and says, man, he's just looking for something to say. Like he's just looking for something to get him out of this and it ain't coming. And uh, so that was the end of the video footage that I found of this particular instance. But then I read that there was an eighth grader from that same, it was like a 20 minute long period to, to get help with a subject or like um, work on your homework or something. And I guess um, a, a time frame earlier than this conversation, a kid walked in to the classroom of this teacher and had a some sort of sticker that had like Black Lives Matter on it, and um, this teacher supposedly made the kid take the sticker off, okay. saying, I, "I don't, I don't allow that in my classroom." I got a few things to say. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to say is I think I agree with what this guy was saying. I think perhaps he was trying to say similarly to what we've said on our podcast. Racism is a funny word. Race is a biological reality. Racism is a social construct reality. Yeah. Um, so it gets redefined. Like it, some people say only white people can be racist. Even like way back in the day when they started using the term reverse racism, mm-hmm. I was like, that's bullshit. There's only racism. If you like uh, condemn or judge or treat a whole people just based on their skin color, that's racism. It's simple. I didn't know why people were trying to make it complex. And it's gotten way more complex now. But I agree with what this guy was saying is on one level, we are all what might be called racist. And I hate that word because it means so many different things to different people. But we do gravitate towards our groups. Some people, it's more based on skin color. And there's a lot of overlap between these groups. Some people, it's politics. You know, like, oh, I don't care about skin color. And some of those people actually gravitate more towards people of a darker color because it validates their virtue. But for them, it's politics. This is my group. We all tend to group. And I think on that level, we are what might be called racist. You know, we tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think in itself that is a bad thing. I like what he said when he was talking to the kid and he said, I'm not saying I don't like people. I'm saying, like, I believe, and this is where his language, I don't know. I don't know, like, you know, I think he said that his race is the best. He said um, he's ethnocentric, which means I think my race is the superior one. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. That was like... (laughs) That was... You maybe could have kept that to yourself. I wonder if he was trying to say something similar to that and his language is that clumsy or, you know, I don't know. We don't know know the sequence of these videos. I I mean, you can make a rough estimate of how it went down 
in real time, but we don't know what preceded this conversation. Yeah, I do wonder if he meant like best, like his favorite or I don't know. But I also am not so hard on Matt Walsh. Um, Yes, you are. Like you said, he was telling us what to think. I feel like Matt Walsh was just kind of debunking it a little bit. Um, the other things you brought in, you're saying he was telling us what to think because he was cherry picking information, right? Like he didn't mention the Black Lives Matter sticker. Yeah, and there's some, there's one other thing that in the video, in one of the video segments, the kid um, that I think it's the the rapper's kid, you know, um, was saying like, well, hold up a, a second, like you always let them go to the bathroom, and but like you'll never let me go to the bathroom, so that's racist. And God, I feel like there was one other thing. The whole idea of, like, having to, like, get permission to go to the bathroom, man. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. I almost had it. There was, like, one other thing that he did, supposedly. Well, can I address what you said, or you want a moment of silence? Go, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the Black Lives Matter sticker, again, I could see somebody wanting that off, because I also believe that is a racist term. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I applaud Kanye West and Candace Owens for wearing a White Lives Matter shirt, <laughs> Because I feel like they're trying to bring attention to that, which, of course, is lost on all the people that don't want to see it. You know, they're like, wow, what does this look like? Yeah, it looks pretty fucked up. Why don't all lives matter? So I could see that. But again, I would not choose that battle. If a kid showed up with a Black Lives Matter or anything, I would ignore it. Mm -hmm. I would not choose that battle, even though I have my opinions about that. So I think this guy, one thing I can say against him is he seems to have bad judgment. (laughs) which might be enough that he needed to get fired for being a teacher. And I will also say this about the superior race thing. I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with what he said, but even if I don't agree with it, are we going to judge him by his personal beliefs or by his actions? Now here's the argument. Are his actions, including an inappropriate conversation with a student? Yeah. I would say no matter what, that this is an inappropriate conversation with a student because either he shouldn't have had this honest of a conversation and it sounds harsh, but I remembered the other thing or let me finish my thought. He shouldn't have had this honest of a conversation with kids. They weren't ready for it. It was not the right place for him to bring this up or he was such a bad judgment in reading his audience. Like who does not know that the culture around them is woke at this point? Like he just, <laughs> what is he still in the nineties? Like he thought, th- thought he could just say whatever he wanted. Oh, like, yeah, man. that was a, was who a do you think ball. he is us? <laughs> okay. Okay. This is the missing, one of the missing components to this puzzle. All right. This is, I believe the beginning of the recorded conversation. I wrote this down. It was just at the top of my paper. I scribbled it. So a student, I'm assuming a student being a person of non-color, threw a pencil. And kids that were of color um, said, if that were us, we would have gotten in trouble. So then the kids asked the teacher if he was a racist. That was, I think, the beginning of the conversation, which if you're, you know, if you're keeping up with all this, um, that one kid, the rapper's kid, he said, baby sizzle said <laughs> that like he actually had respect for the teacher, but now he doesn't. And then another kid chimed in and said the same thing. So like what I wonder was the progression of this in the classroom. And I'll just say one other thing, like that kind of leads me to think, you know, I really don't know this situation and it's easy for me to like 
not admit this, but there, I mean, there are, we've got to admit there are people that are out there that really are, um, racist. And if they had the opportunity to do something, they would. Okay. I'm so turned off by the left at this point that I will admit I'm developing a weakness that as soon as they mob somebody, I'm for them. (laughs) Like I'm looking for a way to be for them. I've I've caught myself doing this and I know I in fact do that. So I will try to entertain the notion that even though I don't like a lot of parts of the story and how it went down, that this man is indeed racist, that he means his race is the superior one in the worst way that can be meant. Yeah. So then... Yeah, I mean, if they got rid of him because they said you were having an inappropriate – again, man, it's so much on the line. I mean, it's it's in a way so fucking relevant. It's like we need to hear all the voices about yeah. you know these topics are being fed to us. Otherwise, the media completely defines it for us, what racism is, where it is, who has it. What if a, a fucking actual Nazi came to class? Yeah. And they let him talk. Would that not be more educational if we really wanted to dismantle racism? You know, yeah. and and uh, all right, the danger is he might promote ideas that kids aren't ready for and influence them to actually be more racist. How about a debate? I mean, what, How about else, a debate? what are they doing now anyway? Yeah, they're already being indoctrinated. <laughs> I mean, they are already being indoctrinated in ways that if they do what their parents and grandparents did before them lead to, you know, as Greta Thunberg likes to say, they, we have no future. She's, there's some truth in that. Yeah. If we keep doing the same old shit, it's. Looking pretty bad. I mean, I don't care if what you think about green energy or gas or uh, environmentalist or whatever. I mean, look around. We live outside. I don't have liberal views anymore. As a matter of fact, my views are becoming dangerously reactive to crazy liberal views. That is the big problem. And I problem. still see damage around me. So yeah, that to me is a given. When I said, I think it was like the first or second episode of this season, we were still up in the mountains and we were talking about people using the N-word casually. I have never seen this in my 40-something years of life. And um, I I said it then, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, you know, Teresa Damas, but y'all are pushing toward a race war. I don't know. Yeah. The ball is getting, it's a tennis match. Um, the more the, and who, who cares who started it? My impression is the left kind of start, but then I remember George W. Bush and I really felt triggered by all the fucking lies and pro-American bullshit and pro-war shit at the time. And that pushed me left. Only time I ever voted was Democrat. So if this country split um, among the lines that are like, um, all these issues about, you know, about racism and trans this and um, patriarchy that, man, shit, who do you think would win that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, are there enough leftists that have guns? <laughs> well, apparently the right wingers are so stupid, they will actually stage an insurrection to take over the government and forget every damn one of their guns. Hmm. So... If they do that again, it's not looking good for them. Yeah, that's true. Don't bring a gun to a gunfight. And apparently they sent a lot of their grandparents in for them with all the old people. That, I mean, it's just apparently. Well, that was a human shield. If that's how they do an insurrection. Barbaric. Yeah. But yeah so... Waste your bullets on the old people. My grandma can take five bullets before she's down. <laughs> now that's some redneck shit right Man. there. Um, yeah, so I guess just wrapping up that story, I... Um... It really, 
has put me into a, a ponderous state. Um, just thinking about once again, what if I'm wrong? I wish this is what happened. This is my bottom line on that story. The guy made some bad decisions. That's the, the uh, I know that. Well, I mean, that's my opinion. I don't know that I can say I know that, but I think he picked some bad battles. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as how it fell on that issue he brought up with the kids and what he said, I wish things had gone in a way that the man didn't get fired and that the kids could see like, wow, even a, a view that this much in opposition to what I agree with, the guy's trying to be honest. I think that would be the path that would like lead to a better world. More of that. So I find it sad that the guy has apparently resigned and been persecuted so much, even though I will concede that uh, at the very least he made some really bad judgment calls. They they won't release his name. I think they're afraid for him, for his safety. Good. I hope they don't. Um, And people are asking for it. Like I I took uh, a few moments to peruse the – like YouTube comments. And I thought this was kind of funny. Um, somebody called CRT create racist thinking. I mean, it's not funny. haha, but it's like, you know, and what was the name of that kid again? Which kid? Baby sizzle, baby sizzle, man, Or baby. There might be numbers mixed in there. Cause the dad is like eight Oh eight mafia. If you can't get behind mom. a guy named baby sizzle, I mean, there's just no hope for us coming together over anything. Baby sizzle's famous. Yeah. We're talking about baby sizzle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, true that. And speaking <laughs> of <laughs> speaking of um, people in the news lately, there is another person that caught our attention. And this person, um, mainly we heard about them through uh, Josh Slocum and his podcast, Disaffected. But there's this shop teacher at um, Oakville Trafalgar High School in Oakville, Ontario, up in Canada. And uh, he started wearing these big prosthetic breasts. And when I say big, I mean, like, what could you compare that size to? Well, it's like a guy's beer gut, but with two nipples. It's even bigger than that. <laughs> it's like two, like, sheepdogs hanging off of his chest. <laughs> and they are well down past his hips. They are ridiculously clownishly big. And he started wearing a long blonde wig. Now, there's a big uproar. There apparently was a big protest up there, hundreds of parents saying this is uh, obscene what the hell are you letting this happen for? And um, the guy says it's his gender identity. And so the school so far, where they've fallen on the story, is um, to protect him, to say he can wear good, gigantic, ginormous fake breast and a fake wig to class if he so wishes. It's his gender identity. And, uh, <laughs> oh, how'd they word that? They, they pushed it into some specific... Rooming. Grooming? But not grooming of children, grooming like actual... Yes, they turned it into a like a grooming hygiene type issue. So there's a debate on whether this guy is actually a trans of some nature. I don't know how many genders there are now, but, you know, take a pick. Uh, some member of the Alphabet Soup group. Or if he is a, what they're calling a troll, and I don't like that name for him, I would say a resistance fighter, a guy that is actually <laughs> trying to outwoke the woke. Like, all right, this is how you guys want to play? It's all okay? All right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And uh, I believe it's the latter. I believe he is actually trying to uh, outwoke the woke, and I've thought about this before. Like, could you fight the woke by trying to outwoke them? Could I 
could people like find a hair dye that was so bright it was actually radioactive? <laughs> like, can you make your pronouns so complicated and obscene that it would actually offend the woke? Like, one of my pronouns is like spinning. <laughs> like, I like, want you to actually hawk up a loogie. I just you know, when you refer to no, well, I didn't mean you. You're too close to me. Um, but yeah, you know, can we outwoke the woke? Can I identify as a black man trapped in a white man's body and demand reparations for myself <laughs> and take myself to court? How fucking crazy can we go? Can I right now get na- Have I been just squandering opportunities to go to the gym and go in the women's locker room and walk around like I'm at a uh, naked woman museum? Is that something I can actually do now? Because yeah, I think that has been. Because you, you got the go ahead for that. If I live another thirty years and I read back in history and they talk about this time when men could just walk into women's locker rooms and I didn't realize that I could do it, and since then the world has gotten sane again and I can't do it anymore, I will regret that for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm going to be a bitter, dirty old man. You don't want to live with. I don't want yeah those regrets. Or but, die with them either. I don't know. But what do you think, Teresa? Could we outwoke the woke? Would it have? Because the reason why you would do that is to show, okay, let's follow your ideas to an extreme and mm-hmm. show you how ridiculous they are. Let's let's show everybody where you're leading. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to borrow some of your words from earlier because, of course, we talked about this. Well, if you want to sound smart, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, admit it. I'm trying to be honest with you. You should respect me more. I do, actually. Okay. Especially when you say I'm smart. Yeah. So. She's um, a good judge of character. <laughs> So I don't think that you can outwoke the woke because I think the woke as activist nihilists, they will go as far as it takes to stay woke. They will not turn back. I don't think there's a circle for them. It's linear, which is funny because I think they would consider themselves more in line with circles than lines. And screw walking into the women's locker room. There's people like, you know, there's that guy in the documentary, What is a Woman, walking around San Francisco butt naked. Yeah. People are starting to just walk around butt naked when they want. Like, yeah, evidently the guy that like attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband was a naked activist. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily against, I'm definitely not against female nudity. Any women who, like, I, I agree there's a double standard about guys going topless at the beach. Why can't women? I am not opposed to that whatsoever. I want to go on record. But there is something about, like, what happened in our culture? You know, it's kind of like it's it's dizzying. Before, if they had somehow lifted the law that men could walk into a women's locker room, let's say 30 years ago in the 90s, I feel like a man still wouldn't because the social reaction of well, the right. women, they would, like, run him out. That's what they're trying to change. Something has changed that I didn't think could be changed in this way, and it's, like, kind of baffling to watch it happen where – People are uh, subdued now by the social pressure. All the women in that locker room might see a guy walking in and feel very violated, unsafe, outraged. But I think nowadays it would be a very rare woman who would have the courage to stand up and say something. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen what gets done to people that do. So that is a really bizarre, puzzling thing. So this uh, person, you know, wearing the big boobs, I feel like they're kind of trying to outwoke the woke. Like, all right, let's see how ridiculous we get. You know, what you want to just, all right, how about this other guy shows up with his dick hanging out, you know? And like, <laughs> that's his little sock puck, pu- puppet. He's Mr. Garrison. And that, Oh my God, somebody really should do Mr. Yeah, Garrison. Yeah, paint a little face on his dick and everything. And like, he could call it the mic. Like, this is Mike. <laughs> and have the kids like talk into it. Oh no. 
minor attracted person. It's his gender. What, are you going to discriminate against him? Yeah, that's true. Just because he wants to have sex with children? We're only a step away. What, are you hateful? Yeah. So it's, yeah. And I applaud the guy, but I agree with you. I, I, we were talking about this. Can you outwoke the woke? Can you show them how crazy it is? And I think for the main hardcore wokies, they're committed. They're nihilist at heart. They are trying to dismantle everything. They they would probably say they're trying to dismantle Western civilization. What they don't realize is these actions threaten everything, all parts of our human culture. I don't like this way of fighting. I still. Uh, believe what uh, civilization needs to fall, industrial civilization, if the world's to heal, ultimately, this is not the way to do it, not in my opinion. This costs too much. This is etching away at our very souls. And I don't yeah. think it's going to take down civilization. It's just going to make it worse, stronger, more authoritarian. Censorship is not a good thing for free-thinking, free-speaking people. Yeah. So, yeah. Those people will not be outdone because they want to see it fall apart. More naked people, more uh, child molesters, more all this stuff that they think is a weapon against society, the better for them. There are other people who have gone along with this through social pressure. They're kind of woke, but they don't want to see society dismantled. And I think a lot of those people that think they do, once it actually starts falling apart (laughs) in a more real way, they're going to discover, hey, how come nobody thought about how we're going to eat? Oh. Oh, you mean it's not just my, like, heroic life as a martyr? I'm watching my daughter starve to death slowly? Hey, this isn't fun anymore. I know. I get my food from the farmer's market, so I'm covered. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's... If you think that, you should have a better plan. (laughs) Oh, man, let's see. Yeah, and I guess the only thing I want to add to that story before I leave it is uh, apparently... And we've seen this in Subway as well. That girl we've talked about that uh, apparently hates making sandwiches. She's still working there. They've hired people like they've got like three people working there to compensate for what she's not doing. And she's still hired. So I want everybody now to know in the same way that like apparently you can walk into a woman's locker room naked and like that's fine if you're a guy. Apparently anybody looking for more work. I don't think you can get fired right now. Except if you're a white dude in Texas that says you are. <laughs> yeah, if you're a white guy, you can probably be. Fi- you're probably on your way to being fired right now. So you might want to look into the hobo path. Everybody else, I don't think you can get fired. This might be a time to milk that shit. You know, like if you can wear boobs like that and still teach shop, uh, if you can not make sandwiches at Subway. <laughs> I mean, live the dream. Go get a job and kick your feet up on the counter and fire up a doobie and tell the boss what to do. <laughs> you're going to have a job. Just collect the paycheck. Yeah. Unless you're a white guy. Again, let me let me emphasize that. It's not going to work if you're white. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have to just, yeah. So, I was thinking. Oh, come on. You could have caught him up with a better story than that. Do you want to get into a little bit of our uh, of our guest here? I know we're going a little bit long for the first half, but yeah, maybe we can wrap it up with uh, your your book report. Wet our whistle. All right. There is this book that's like one of the most banned books in America right now, according to the leftist media. Banned from where? I don't know. Somewhere. I don't. Are you sure that's what they say? Because what I've heard is it's just uh, people aren't wanting it in their children's libraries. Well, right, I'm not aware banned. of it being. It's banned. Oh. 
Well, you might want to spell that out. I would have believed you if I didn't know better myself. I'd have been like, wow, That's they're not allowing That's another you. example of keeping your mind on, right? So that was from the media that it was banned. All right, so this book is called Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya. I think it's Kobabe, but I, it could be Kobabi, or I could be wrong on both of those. So we'll just try to work with it. But yeah, you've probably heard of the book and uh, heard about all the inappropriate images and, of course, topics. But I don't know if you know this, listeners, but this book is fucking hilarious. Well, <laughs> I wanted to get, I actually got the book from the library, and the main thing I wanted to see was the pictures of how pornographic they were, because that's what I'd heard from like more right leaning sources. So I wanted to see for myself. Exactly. I read the book from cover to cover. Teresa read most of it. Um, we read it together. And let me say, um, maybe this will turn into a shit sandwich. Um, first of all... <laughs> a gender queer sandwich. A gender queer shit sandwich. Oh. <laughs> and I should have a gender. Damn, that was a manly shit. I guess I've said that. Oh, yeah. I've never said that was... No, I think I have said that was well, a girly shit. Well, you say it's like a clementine. Yeah. Like a little tiny turd or yeah. a fish turd. Anyway, sorry, listeners. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so I will say this for the author. She has creative artistic talent. I really like the way she told her story. Um, The way she would like, kind of like, I didn't, I never realized until looking at this graphic novel, how much a comic book artist is sort of like a director. They're kind of pointing the camera like, okay, I want to set this mood with a stack of books. I'm going to set this mood with like this wild color, unrealistic background behind the person. So I thought that was, I could see the creativity and the talent. In really, the way she did the graphic novel. I, every time you say the wrong pronoun, it's like that feeling of the tag that's on the back of your shirt. It's just like, ee, ee, ee. Sorry. Um, that's actually what the, the author of this book um, described feeling like when they had the wrong pronouns. Yeah. So... What I don't like about this book, many things, is uh, I agree with the people that don't want it in children's libraries. There are enough pictures in there. The pictures alone uh, depict, like, graphic blowjobs, a maxi pad with uh, just crust in it that she described as being, like, coffee grounds because she didn't change it um, for days on end. Um, A lot of sex acts type of stuff. Uh, her sticking her finger in her own vagina and then, like, taking the finger with, like, vagina slime, as it's described, about to taste it. Um, it's just stuff that, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think belongs in a children's library. Yeah. But, and that's the only opposition I've seen. People will say it's the most banned book or whatever. I have never, I haven't seen anybody that's trying to say this book shouldn't have been written. They're, they're saying that they don't want it in children's libraries. I haven't seen, we, we got it from the library, no problem. Yeah. I haven't seen any opposition myself, not saying it's not out there, against the book altogether. So to put that in context. Um, like I said, I agree with it, but it brings up some interesting um, points. For instance, one of the things I don't like, there's misinformation in the book. Just outright lies that are going to be, that are going to feed existing lies that are people are already believing in, which is problematic. For instance, assigned female at birth. Oh, that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. Nobody is assigned a gender at birth. Or sex. Let's say it together. Nobody is assigned a gender at birth. Teresa, you're never going to learn this stuff if you know. <laughs> but no, 
It's a biological reality. These people that argue for this are the first people to tell you, as if you're stupid, sex is a biological reality and gender is a social construct. But then, as they always do, they flip-flop them to make an argument that makes no sense. And so you're so confused, you think, maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe they know what they're talking about. They don't. They do not. No doctor ascends gender identity at birth. He is noticing... Oh, wow, this person has a penis and testicles. Look, this person has a vagina. Hmm, how can I separate the two? How can I uh, classify the two so we can address what health needs they might have? Um, Because men and women are different, need different things. So, oh, this person's a male. This person's a female. Boom, done. Simple. That's really all there is to it. In the very rare occasion there's an intersex, that person is still a sex at birth. It's just the deformity makes it harder to determine. So it's a really simple thing, and it's a lie when people say assigned female at birth, because what they're describing, as you can see evidently throughout the book, is a gender. She was female at birth. Yeah. There's no fault on the doctor. She was female at birth. Now, she can do whatever she wants to her body now. She can try to push the pronouns, which is another lie, but uh, she was female at birth. I was looking at that phrase, assigned whatever sex at birth, and the word that really stuck out to me was assigned. It speaks volumes to, right from the beginning, start to write your story as someone that's a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You had sexual organs when you came out. The doctor didn't do anything about that unless the doctor was one of your parents and and made you. So the doctor isn't assigning you a biological sex of male or female. They are just say, they are seeing what's in front of them genitary wise and saying this is male, this is female. I can't even believe I'm having to explain this. Yeah, observed female at birth. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, who cares? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, oh, so then, yeah, it, it's a, I think you would agree, very narcissistic. Yes, narcissism is the heart of this. Way too much involvement in self, uh, to the point of a deep psychosis, I'd say. I think this character is dangerous in the influence it has on kids, especially in this political climate. Maybe 50 years from now, this book could be uh, read by kids as a historical piece. Right now, I think it is grooming. But here's the question. If it's grooming, do we need to look at a lot of other books? Like, what characters can we allow? Now, I think the pictures separate this. The graphic images of the blowjobs and stuff is a book that I wouldn't want to see in a children's library. But the character itself, the other aspects of the grooming, what if those pictures were missing? Would I still have a problem with this book? I would still find the character dangerous to get rid of those those pictures. For the influential aspect of self-hatred of the body, of deep narcissism, of perpetuating lies like assigned female at birth, I think this is a really bad influence. But where do I stop? Um, there's a lot of characters in books that if this is grooming, why aren't those other books grooming? Where would our fiction section be without uh, dangerous characters, without characters that could be construed as uh, promoting violence, promoting crime of all kinds? 
Yeah. And I was going to agree with you on how this book is so, um, I don't want to keep using the word insidious. I don't know. It's, it's really sneaky. Something that I noticed at least twice in the book was this roller coaster. And what I mean is the character gets you kind of um, sympathetic in the sense that you probably experienced similar feelings as you were growing up. So you're like, yeah, yeah. Or like introduce something funny. Like in the book, uh, Maya uh, talks about the first time. Who's the protagonist, Maya. Yeah. Uh, um, the first time that E, <laughs> she heard uh, David Bowie's music and it just like sent her into this transcendental queer state. That, <laughs> like everything was just sparkles and, and stars and it was just amazing. And then right after that, the roller coaster drops you into her describing how she like would lay in the grass and have the grass around her crotch in her hand and she would pretend like that was a dick to like masturbate to or something. So it kind of cushioned the... Like, whoa! <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, David Bowie's cool. And then you started talking about, it like... kind of cushioned the part that could be, like... You're saying it kind of cushioned the part that could... Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I will say another thing about the art, even though I uh, just said I appreciate the art, and I do appreciate the uh, talent. But uh, one thing is I think that targets it more towards kids Yeah. to make it a comic book. Um, and another thing is it gives another false perception. Like, there's... Uh, a person taking hormones in here, born a woman, assigned female at birth, and uh, assigned female at birth, born a woman and has become a man that her sister is now married to. And um, so we see this person injecting hormones. And because it's a comic, this person looks exactly like a man. Everybody who <laughs> wants to look a certain way, it looks exactly like it. That is a misrepresentation of the real world. Most trannies you can spot from a half a mile away. That's a man, man. And so it's just creating this illusion. These, it's, it's. I think insidious is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I also noticed so there was another example of that kind of roller coaster. I don't think I'd call it a shit sandwich, but. Uh, yeah, can, I don't know if I have a piece of bread for the other side. Yeah. Um, one other roller coaster was like the the protagonist Maya was talking about how E she really started. Um, she never she never liked buying underwear because it it would inevitably have like girly colors like pink or just light colors in the pack. Man, I do that shit too. I'm in the store and I like, you know, try to get the underwear that I like in in one pack. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I wouldn't consider myself gender queer. I just, you know, practically speaking, you don't want to have dirty looking underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in this lifestyle. But then right after that, the character's talking about like, oh, it, it was too late for me to take puberty blockers, but I wonder what I would tell kids these days just to like inspire them. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa. That was, uh, that was like taking me along for the ride and then all of a sudden like hitting a tree. Mm-hmm. A queer tree. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um, but I also saw in the book this one little interchange or monologue, I guess. And the character's talking to uh, her very, um, very lesbian auntie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. She has an alarming haircut. Yes. Um, and so Maya's saying, the, the protagonist, if people could just switch to, th- if people 
could just switch to thinking of me as gender non-binary. That would be amazing. So, okay. She's That's talking. That's woke voice. No, no, no. I'm just, I, I wanted to slow down <laughs> because I didn't want you to miss that savory little nugget right there. She wants people to change their thinking. And then the next bubble says, but the only way I can think of to initiate a switch in thinking is to start with a switch of words. Mm. That's some Bernays shit right there. So here is part of the character. You know, we're we're really sympathetic with her because some of these things that she describes hating so much about herself, um, we can we can say like, man, as a woman, I really regret that I started shaving my legs when I was so young. If someone had just told me not to. And she complains about not having shaved her legs and just never feeling feminine enough for society. But but then she goes into this weird narcissistic stuff. Gumby, did you have something to say? I feel like I've been talking for a while. Oh, I don't uh, remember if I did. Um, do you want to, shall we delve into a, a little a little taste of the book? Well, I wanted to save that part for the end. Oh, so okay. is there any other part that you feel like is really, uh, you want to hit on it before we leave gender queer? I guess I just, again... I think this book is is very interesting to to give a read and make sure you read it out loud because yeah. it is pretty funny. Yeah, at first I, I was I think it's meant to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> at first I would have discouraged people about the book, but it, it is worth reading. Um you got to keep your mind on because it's very uh insidious. It is insidious. It it this author is talented. This uh story, you know, it's it's can be easy to miss how narcissistic, how deeply troubled this girl is, and how confusing her culture is uh, just leading her into really crazy shit. She's just like this whole book kind of normalizes it, makes it seem so normal. Um, so you got to keep your brain turned on. And are you leaning in to say something? Yeah, I was just going to give another example of this this very interesting um, little tidbits that you find in the book. So there was this one where... Um, uh, Maya is talking about one of her favorite fictional characters who happens to be this like uh, stubborn girl who disguised herself as a boy to train as a knight. And Maya says she listened to these audiobooks over and over throughout her childhood. She then goes on to uh, share with the reader how Alana, the, um, the, the woman, the girl that was like stubborn and disguised herself as a boy um, in the story, the first question was about starting her period as a girl and saying, how long do I have to put up with this? I didn't ask to be born a girl. It's not fair. So it's like she's the main character of the book. Maya is trying to say, see, this is a normal feeling. I, I listened to it over and over again in my childhood, this book on tape, this audio book or whatever. And wow, now I feel it. <laughs> and now it's in my book that is available for children to read. Yeah. In another it's time. Like an inception. <laughs> if this had come out in the 90s, I don't think I'd have a problem with this book, even with the graphic images. Um, I don't think I've had to have a problem with this book. But at this time, when there's already so much nudging, uh, kids just finding it fashionable to find their gender identities, um, all these pronouns, all these things that are really uh, confusing children and leading many into paths of surgery, of uh, 
pharmaceutical drugs that sterilize them. I mean, all kinds of really horrific child abuse. I think this book is dangerous at this time. So I would, uh, I set myself against anything that, uh, promotes this. I don't think we need to promote it. If indeed people are born in the wrong body, which is nonsense, but even if it were, let's be the devil's advocate here. Do they really need to be encouraged with that? Wouldn't they know? Do they need books and prompts to kind of like make it seem cool? I mean, it seems like they, like if they had this rare or what once was a rare disorder, um, we could find a way that they could be accepted without being persecuted, but not, it's the promotion of this that I'm against. I think that is dangerous. Yeah. Uh, you I know, mean, there's certain things that like, and I agree, there's a lot of other books that we can look backwards at and like, okay, if you say that, you could bring up some books that would be really good, like, huh, that's a good one. I don't know. And what are we getting into? Censorship? You know, like, I don't favor censorship. So it's not exactly me saying I want this book, no, I'm not saying I want this book banned. I don't want it promoted. I want, like, especially I think it's okay for parents to say, we don't choose to have this in our, our children's library. Um, censorship starts getting really fuzzy when it comes to kids because we do have to somewhat protect our kids. In this world, in this world, we cannot let our kids just try anything they want to. This world, this civilization is much more dangerous than nature. You could let your kids kind of run wild back in the day. Now? Fuck no. You're going to let them try fentanyl? Like, this culture is full of really dangerous shit. So I don't think we can afford to just be all, like, freewheeling and, like, no censorship when it comes to kids. Mm -hmm. I think that's a different thing, and I think we need to step up into uh, responsibilities like that as elders. Now, with that said, do you have anything else you want to say about that book? Because i got one more thing to say. Well, I have so many things that I'd love to share with you, but I think um, maybe when we come back from our break, we can can share some other ideas. But just to go back to the... um, the the relatability is that the word how relatable the character is to to me i mean i can't speak for everybody but a lot of what this character just can't stand she's disgusted with i wrote this down from one of the pages the main character says i hate it i hate having boobs and a period i hate buying bras and underwear i hate feeling like i have to shave my armpits and have a perfect tan yeah me too but i'm not going to go get my boobs cut off and like a dick sewn on to me i just uh i do what i need to do to be happy and it doesn't involve generally doesn't involve mutilating my body too much. Yeah, the self-hatred is really disturbing. I mean, even born in the wrong body, like, talk about original sin. As soon as you're born, it was a mistake. Your body is a blessing. You did nothing that any mortal can remember having done to earn that body. It's a gift. It's a 100% gift. So to this whole body, you know, from the from the Democrat, the party that brought you body shaming, <laughs> body shaming on steroids. It's it's evil. Wow. And what yeah. a horrible thing to do to ki- everything about the left. If you look into it is a reversal. It's completely wow. backwards. Right. So they're telling us that we should think that like really morbidly obese fat people are beautiful physically, not just like their spirit and their their person, but yeah. like their body is 
it's a thing of beauty. Which is not only uh, actually unhealthy and should not be promoted. If you're an adult and you decided you, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you're fat, you're tired of fighting that battle, you're just going to be comfortable being fat, fine, more power to you. There's a lot of other things a person can be other than like a swim model. That's not what we're all aspiring to. Um, But to promote it to kids as if that's just like a, a healthy thing, weren't we just struggling with a nationwide childhood obesity epidemic? What the fuck? <laughs> Whiplash. It's unhealthy for them. It's it's more child abuse. Right. And they so, always frame it as if they're defending children. Yeah. No, you're not. You're condemning them. Yeah. So these kids that are having the same or similar experiences as the character in this book, it's not that if you read a book, you're going to automatically do everything that the character does. But Although I did read Huck Finn, and I'm kind of living his life now. So there you go. That was another banned book. Yeah, that that's right. And that was banned. <laughs> the left, as I recall, when I was in my early years, wanted to ban that one. Why? Uh, because of Nigger Jim. Oh. And, you know, was that making all the white people use that word? I don't think so. I certainly didn't notice it. Apparently, a lot of black people read that book, if that's the influence it has, because I hear that all over <laughs> downtown Durham. <laughs> Oh, and the race war gets one step closer. <laughs> but was there anything else you wanted to say about that? Sorry about that. I just, I was blown away by the number of things in that book that I was like, me too. And yet our paths were not the same. And now I had a pretty negative impression of this book until last night. <laughs> last night. We got in that van, we cranked on the heat, put on some, uh, what music were we listening to? Yeah, I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, man. Was it Johnny Cash? No, it's before Johnny Cash. Oh, it doesn't matter. Jethro Tull? Jethro Tull. Yeah, we were jamming on some Jethro Tull. Got the van all nice and warm and then laid down and got our uh, little lamp and uh, decided to read Genderqueer, like, stoned. (laughs) And we were trying to use it like the uh, Tao Te Ching, you know, like pick to a page, like of our birth year or whatever. But, man, (laughs) let me tell you. That made me decide this book should be on everybody's shelf. <laughs> and yeah. it, it should be used as an oracle when you're high because it is hilarious. Now, this is when we wish that we had a, a, a way to beam this image right to your eyes. Yeah, yeah. The, the art really, uh, we can't convey it. Um, but if only you could see some of these But people. hopefully you have somewhat of a, um, an imagination left. So it's kind of like if you could walk up to a Wokey's head and, like, open it up and look inside their brain like a book. (laughs) That's what this is like. So I'm going to try to bring you, like, this inner world from the Wokey's. And this is a few pages. And, uh, again, it's a comic, so I'm going to do my best. I first met Jaina B. at Galen's family's annual New Year's Eve party in 2003 when I was 14. And there's a picture of a woman with, like, pink hair and uh, braids and flowers, flowers. A giant flower headdress thing. And bees flying around her for some strange reason. Well, the flowers. Oh, yeah. And it says, Jaina B. E. is a writer and zine maker, a collector of ephemera. <laughs> Owner of an art house in San Francisco, Granny's University of the Imagination. Oh, my God. The first person I ever met who'd won... NaNoWriMo. <laughs> and then we see them talking. What is NaNoWriMo? National Novel Writing Month. You try to write a whole 50,000-word book in just 30 days. What? You've done that? More than once. 
50,000 words in one month. My mind reeled. <laughs> Jaina and I lost touch with each other and only reconnected at the New Year's Eve party in 2015. Embracing one another. What have you been up to for the past decade? I've been ordained as a pagan priestess. Because of course she did. Yes, she did. Priest X. And I identify as non-binary now. Wow, me too. Tell me more. I love that these are the two things that she's done in the past decade. E. <laughs> e has done. E. For me, female presentation has always been a performance. A fun performance with sequins, glitter, and wild hair. But for a lot of my life, I felt like a drag queen in a female body. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> of course it does. No, I'm sorry, uh, Maya. The correct reaction was, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so hopefully that sold you the book. Uh, read in the correct way, it can be very entertaining. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to read the, uh, the Spivak pronouns. Oh. Well, you entertain our listeners for a minute while I look for this. I Go. Oh, boy. I think it was near the priest X. That's not entertaining. That's well, what I'm doing. Well, there it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, ha- we have more one more page to read to get to that. That's a good one. We, we can't miss that. I've been thinking about switching to they, them pronouns, but for some reason, that doesn't feel quite right. Some reason is because that's crazy. You're not a they or a them. You are an actual individual person. That's the reason. There's no mystery there, Nancy Drew. She goes on to say, what pronouns do you use? And the priest X says, I use the spivic pronouns. E, M, air, as in, ask him what he wants in that tea. (laughs) And then the next picture shows her with stars in her eyes and all around her. E, M, air? I love those pronouns. I just got the biggest tingle down my spine. That was my reaction, too. (laughs) I think it's pronounced A because they don't want it to sound like he or she. Yeah, yeah. And Teresa had the... (laughs) As if saying there or they wasn't puzzling and crazy enough, now let's take off the T because we are so unique and need to express these tiny nuances in our gender (laughs) by abusing pronouns that are meant to describe the objective reality we all share. What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. Teresa had the genius to realize that apparently these are the pronouns of a chimney sweep (laughs) in post-industrial England. The cockney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want your tea? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's the the face of the future. We're all heading towards. <laughs> I'm glad we did this before we bathed today because I just feel the grime. Yeah, yeah. I can get I can get more in the uh, grime state. Well, teaser, uh, te- teaser, Teresa. Is there anything <laughs> else you would like to talk about before we cut to a break? No, I think I am good for a break. Well, you cut one when you're ready, and you won't hear me make that offer very often. Whoa. All right. We're going to go to break. Which one do I hit? Stop. In these busy times we live in, it can be difficult to know which sign is the right for you to proudly display on your lawn. Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Jesus. I could shit a better president. For sale. No trespassing. Smile, you're on no camera. No human is illegal. Trump in this house, we believe in science. Pride. All love is good love. Ah! 
With everything else going on, how can I juggle signaling my virtue to all my pretentious friends and neighbors without risking offending all of my other pretentious friends and neighbors or incurring the wrath of the lower classes? We hear you. We know what you really want to say, and we want to get you ready for the revolution. Now introducing the Please Don't Hurt Us yard sign, tastefully handwritten by actual housing-impaired persons in bold, permanent marker, displayed on rich, earth-toned cardboard, so your community knows you care, but are not threatened that you may care more than them. The cardboard is biodegradable, compostable, and communicates a modest lifestyle to dissuade thieves. For a small additional fee, we will add on the bottom of the sign, We are good people, so everyone will know. It's right there on the sign. All of your money will go directly towards helping the homeless, and we will write this on the back of each and every sign, ensuring your authenticated status as a virtuous person. Act now, and we'll add an additional sign, free of charge, for the post-apocalypse, which reads in desperate, scrawling font in bright red letters, We have no food. You'll be the envy of all your neighbors when your house is the only one left intact by the roving bands of starving raiders. También disponible en español para asaltantes latinos hambrientos. Don't wait. Virtue signal now. Hi, my name's Gumby. And I'm Teresa. We like to laugh and have fun here at Escaping Society. But right now, we'd like to take a moment to talk about something a little more serious. Do you know a dog? who was born without thumbs? Sure, we all do. Every day, thousands of dogs without thumbs are forced into lives of dependency, deprived of the ability to hitchhike, to turn doorknobs, thumb wrestling, or to give high fives. They can only give high fours. In our own lives, we have one of these special needs dogs. Over the past 12 years, I have seen the frustration in my dog's eyes when he wants to approve of something, but cannot give me a thumbs up. We like to think of him not as thumbicapped, but as toe-capable. For a small donation, we, as healthcare providers for our own thumbless best friend, can continue to provide services such as door opening, feeding, and the occasional toileting assistance. For a larger donation, we may even be able to buy him new thumbs. We don't know. So please, reach deep down in your pockets and your hearts and send us a donation today. Try doing it without thumbs. Two dreams I had in high school. One night, after I read Sandman for the first time, I decided to ask Morpheus to send me a good dream. I then dreamed of having a massive, painful boner that lasted all day. In the morning? Huh. Another time. (laughs) Another time. Wait, is that huh or huh? I think it's like, huh. Oh. (laughs) Another time, I dreamed of waking up with a well-groomed beard. Nice. But when I look closer... (gasps) My first beard ever, and I'm already going gray? God. So that uh, that bonus excerpt of uh, Gender Queer was, um, yeah, just a little something for our listeners. Wow. <clears throat> so 
We, uh, when we shared Shit Sandwich, I shared it on a bunch of anarchist and anti-civ Facebook pages because I felt like there was a lot in there that I uh, kind of wanted to address to that group. If they want to challenge me back or uh, anything of that nature, I just felt like it was relevant for people that are into that. Um, but we've got a couple comments. One of the comments is from our old um, no blueberry sending friend in Maine, Tim from Maine. Old Tim. Old Tim. <laughs> no, I'm saying uh, old Tim. Old Tim? Old. Ancient. Why are you saying that? I don't know, just to be mean. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, is it because he didn't send us blueberries? Kind of. Yeah, I don't blame you. All right. <laughs> so, good to hear from you, Tim from Maine. And Tim from Maine says, All I could think of was Mike Hunt from the movie Porkies. You know, <laughs> the joke they played on the clerk lady in the intercom. So, that, oh. was, that was in reference. That was an old... <laughs> I'm defending you, Mike H. I'm not old either. We ain't old. He 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 had us. You're both, old. He had us both watch Porky's the other night, so I would get the reference. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, shit sandwich was uh, addressing a message sent to us by another listener, Mike H. And uh, he sent us a really long message, and we felt like we could make a whole episode out of it. So um, that apparently made Tim from Maine think of uh, Porky's and the Mike Hunt gag. It's sort of like Bart Simpson calling into Moe's Tavern, and he's always coming up with these names to get Moe to say it out loud, like uh, all of her clothes off, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good one. So, yeah, so this was a uh, little peewee in the movie Porky's, made in 1981. Um, that was a... What do you call it? A period piece set in the 1950s. And he's doing the gag, calling into a diner, getting this lady to say, Is my cunt here? Has anybody seen my cunt? Can somebody look out in the parking lot and see if you see my cunt? <laughs> my cunt. So, yeah, we uh, watched Porky's. Mike H. Mike H is actually, uh, well, actually, uh, he could be my cunt. We don't know. <laughs> Mike H., if Does your name identify? is actually Mike Hunt, you have to let us know. <laughs> it's not fair to keep that to yourself. So, yeah, what would you think of Porky's? I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I believe that was the first per- first person. Wow. I believe that was the first time I saw that movie. And um, it was shocking that <laughs> I just got it for free online through Tubi. Tubi, Tubi TV, and it's not even, I mean, it's not even blurred out or anything. There's, like, full frontal nudity. There were uh, stripper titties. What else? Oh. All uh, sorts of dick jokes. There was a lot of racist stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of race. A lot of politically incorrect stuff. It would probably blow a Wokey's mind to smithereens. It was so weird for me to see it uh, now because, like, I was such a little kid when I apparently caught at least part of this movie. And um, I missed so much. Like, uh, the politically incorrect stuff was over my head. I thought they were all older, like in college. It was a surprise to realize they were in high school. And I had no idea it was a period piece. It didn't register to my young brain that this was supposed to be the 1950s. So all that was, like, new to me. And, uh, yeah, it was... Even by my standards, this movie made in 1981 was uh, shocking. Yeah. It was like really. I can't believe like how did they let that slip through? And um, and then like I said, there wasn't even any sort of like unsafe space trigger warning at the beginning of it, <laughs> just in case you were like, oh, this... I just went in there all naive and shit. Yeah. And saw like like a full female frontal nudity. I had never seen any before. <laughs> <laughs> Because I hate my body. Mm. Um, 
I was also surprised at the anti-Semitism, anti-anti-Semitism. But I do, I do love how <laughs> I do love how the hero who was Jewish used uh, a, a certain superpower he had learned from the Japanese. Yeah, jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie's a classic. But, yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. It okay. So so really though, I mean, there were times when you were like, oh my god. I mean, not you, but. If you watch no, the movie, there were times where I was, in fact, like, no, "Oh my god!" That's true. I did too, though, and it just—it kind of reminded me of growing up in the '80s and being a young kid, watching and listening to songs. You know, some of the stuff that was out there, and just thinking, like, this is a really um, kind of scary place for girls. So, one point in the column for Mike H's uh, patriarchy in the '80s. <laughs> Yeah. It felt kind of scary because whenever I would, um, I guess just like, you know, wander down, down the stairs as a child and like see what my parents were watching. Did, y'all, did you do that? Did you like sneak up on your parents? Were they watching TV at night and you like snuck down to see what they were watching? Apparently I snuck up on my parents one time and jumped <laughs> on my dad's back when they were engaged in a certain activity and yelled, ride them, cowboy. Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, they shared the story with me when I was older. Oh, I didn't need that. That, that explains a lot, though. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, when I was younger, like I said, in the 80s, I would kind of pick up on these messages like, oh, um, you know, women, they're always, like, being slapped on the ass or whistled at. And, like, sometimes they're, like, roughed up a little bit much when they don't really want to engage with a guy. But, um, you know, he might just let her know how much she wants it or whatever. And I mean, there's, there's gotta be an impact to that. Although I feel like the nineties, well, the nineties were, was its own beast. Yeah. I gotta say, you know, thinking about gender queer and what's appropriate for kids. Um, one thing about gender queer that is the heart of the debate is it being in children's libraries, which Porky's was not. Hopefully not. Yeah. uh, If people at the movie theater were doing what they were supposed to, it was rated R. So for adults. Um, but I gotta say, I found my way to it. You know, that whole rating thing is sort of, everybody knows it's not really a, uh, a good screen. Kids find their way to things. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. That was kind of, there's a lot of messages in there. Like, I'll give this one to you. If you're a lefter leaning, uh, listener, um, you, listener? use Porky's. Like anytime you want to talk about it, it's the, <laughs> it's the way leftists probably really see the fifties. Yeah. They think of it as like a documentary, like a historical documentation of what society was like. It's got everything that white men supposedly have done to the, the world. Time. It's got the N word. It's got Confederate flags. It's got, uh, anti-Semitism. Everything. It's got uh, outrageous toxic masculinity. Oh, so uh, bad. The patriarchy is definitely in full swing. So Porky's, wow. But I got to say, I still appreciate it on that kind of like, I guess just the uniqueness of something that politically incorrect. Yeah, all in one place. <laughs> yeah. So, whew, Porky's. Yeah. You got so, anything else to say about Porky's? No, I just um, wanted to to thank Tim for Maine for uh, for putting that in my brain there. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. and another thing I thought was kind of interesting is we both were felt felt kind of more sympathetic to Porky. The whole premise is these <laughs> these kids that are the protagonists, these high school kids, go uh, to another town in the Porky's um, establishment, which is like a seedy uh, kind of a brothel type brothel situation. type of place, and uh, they go in there to buy some hookers, and so Porky screws them out of their money, dumps them in the river, kind of like, you know, has a trap door and uh, embarrasses them. So the whole thing is them trying to get back at this guy. And they end up like destroying his establishment. Like tearing it apart. Tearing it to pieces. And, uh, you know, they win in the end, but both Teresa and I were kind of like, huh, I don't know about that message. You know, I kind of felt like Porky was giving them a good lesson, you know, like, all right, I took your money, you paid for it. You know, you were trying to do something you shouldn't have done and uh, don't come back. So it's kind of like, man, you know, he got his whole establishment, which you can think whatever you want about a brothel. But yeah, some of those women, for all we know, I mean, wanted to work there. So they lost their livelihood as well. So sex workers. Yeah, sex workers. So, yeah, interesting movie. Anything else you want to say about it? No, no. <laughs> you leave Porky's alone. So. Oh, my God. When I posted this uh, episode um, shit sandwich. We also had a, and I, I'm sharing listener write-ins here because both of these write-ins were related to things I wanted to talk about in the episode rather than saving them to the end like I usually do. But um, Shannon from Creedmoor, North Carolina uh, had a comment. And I grew up with Shannon, so uh, I know she was high when she wrote this comment. Oh my God. Hey, Shannon. And when you listen to it, <laughs> you will too. So Shannon likes me to do her uh, her writings in my best hick voice, and uh, <coughs> I did grow up with her. Y'all, and so y'all, 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 <laughs> y'all, 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 this y'all. is pretty much like a recording. So love this episode. The roast of this guy Mike H was hilarious. I haven't laughed this much in a good minute. <laughs> and Gumby, the Scooby Doo comment, that was a good one. <laughs> But you guys were totally on point about him making or leaving no input. Also, you two do not need to justify how or why you two live the way you do. It's what fits you and yours, just like the way I live fits me and mine. Anyway, great show. Aww. (laughs) Thank you, Shannon. Um, We are really glad you liked it. I like the Scooby-Doo comment as well. I still kind of get a kick out of thinking of pulling the mask off of Teresa. There's Mike Hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. And uh, let's see. In regard to what you said about Mike H., um, I got to come to his defense a little bit in this message because the part about um, we don't need to justify the way we live, what's good for uh, us and our you know, and that all that. Our pronouns. Arn. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's true of you, Shannon, because you're not doing a podcast, so you don't need to justify the way you live. And it's not about us needing to justify the way we live. Um, I kind of think us doing the podcast is sort of a, uh, just the fact that we're putting our lives out there in this way is kind of a invitation to ask questions. We even asked for it, like, um, directly at the end. Questions, comments, criticisms, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like Shit that. Shit sandwiches. Shit sandwiches. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're inviting people to challenge us. And uh, I want to give props to Mike H um, for stepping up to that. Mike H knew that he was stepping into a lopsided playing field. He was stepping into our court. We could have edited his message. We could have changed things. Um, As it is, we didn't do any of that. But as it is, we got to 
not be challenged in all of our responses. So that took guts for Mike H. to have a criticism, to uh, hash it out as much as he did, even though my criticism back to him was no details, which I, I still find an accurate criticism and a fair one. But uh, the fact that he did it, I give props to him. Yeah. I actually think Mike H.'s uh, role modeling behavior I'd like to see more of in our culture because he still listens. Do you realize how unique that is that somebody can disagree as much as he did? Mm. Have the guts to share it and still keep listening? So that speaks to something good about Mike H.'s character. So I wanted to uh, just give him props. And, uh, Thank you, Shannon, as always, for sharing a uh, comment. Yes, thank you very much. And we uh, do really appreciate your support. And uh, I will say this is f- about uh, <clears throat> people who challenge us. We really appreciate the messages of support. But I do feel like it's the people that challenge us that help us grow more, mm-hmm. that are more important. Um those challenges Mike H. gave us got us thinking and exploring deeper. And I feel like every now and then a challenge will change the way you think. But more often than not, it will actually help you uh, sharpen your sword, deepen what you think about, whatever you think about. Um, so, yeah, for that, I'm thankful. The messages of support, uh, <clears throat> it seems like that is the nourishment that gets us to the place where we can... Um, where we can accept criticism and see it as a challenge and not something to like weaken us, to, but to make us stronger. So everybody, everybody's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to invite more people yeah, to, to send a challenge and you can be a winner too. Yeah. And, we'll uh, fix it so that everybody's a winner. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and that gets me thinking about... Something I see a lot in people around me is, I guess I could call them people pleasers, but that might be too strong of a term. Um, But people that just don't want to make people mad. I see so much of that, and I feel like that's part of what's going on. Like when we were addressing earlier, a man in the 90s walking into a women's locker room, even if the rules were lifted, um, would probably get run out by the women because they didn't care about making him mad. You know, it's like they got mad. Mm -hmm. Now it's like something, there's so many people that seem to really feel like it is a cardinal sin to risk making another person mad. And I've seen all kinds of things result from this way of thinking. This is the social acceptance that we're moving more and more towards. Like this is the, like, I don't know, intermediate, beginner intermediate steps. How do you mean? Well, I mean, it's like nudging. So basically, we've gotten... Nudging us not to be mad at anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Not to be um, running people out of the locker room, in your example. Not to be questioning people when they're doing strange things, like wearing giant prosthetic breasts mm-hmm. or, you know, like... Even with the, the racist teacher story in the first part of this episode, it's it's that we haven't been trained or we've been trained... It's been trained out of us... Um, to question things. So we just hear racist teacher and we're like, that's bad. Next. Like mm-hmm. we don't even have time to think about what this all, like how this all fits together. It's just like push a button. Is it good or bad? Go next. Yeah. And making people mad. I think people forget how empowering it can be to choose your battles and choose your enemies. 
Um, most of the people that don't like me, I'm glad they don't like me. Um, I, I feel like having certain people that, uh, you know, that your enemies are sort of a testament to battles you've chosen to fight. You stood up for something at one time. Chosen. Chosen. Um, so I, I think that aspect, you know, it's, it's said in some native cultures, like, uh, I don't know what Plains Indians tribe, but, uh, that they love their enemies. They respect their enemies. And, um. And love thine enemy in the Bible. Yeah. I don't know if that means the same thing, but possibly, but there's a value in having an enemy. I think that tribal approach, like why they love having enemies is they recognize it's their enemies. Just like I said about challenging messages that make them stronger. Um, for a challenging message, it makes me think. It, it makes my mind stronger. For their enemies, it was a physical thing. It made them sneakier. It made them more alert. It made them stay warrior sharp. If they didn't have an enemy, how would they do that? There would be nothing to keep them sharp. And so when something happened, something bad, they would be less prepared for it. There's value in an opponent. Um, I've seen that message so many times. Like we talked about the Don Juan books we read and Don Juan taught Carlos Castaneda about the petty tyrant. He said um, the sorcerers of the Yaqui people in Mexico and South America, the best thing that ever happened to them was the Spanish Inquisition. When the Spaniards came over, that kind of petty tyrant, that challenge sharpened them. It brought their powers into focus. That was the most powerful they've ever felt. In Tibet, they say the same thing in Buddhism. You need to find an enemy if you're going to reach a certain stage of understanding. <clears throat> and there's even the story I love about this uh, renowned teacher um, that would travel around with a little group when he had to travel through the, uh, the plains and mountains of Tibet. And um, he had a cook that would always talk shit to him, insult him, say, you lazy so-and-so, get over here, eat your food. Did you leave... Like, you're not going to clean your dishes? Like, just to treat him like a dog. And everybody else revered this teacher. So one day, one of the his followers was bold enough to ask, why do you keep this cook around? Like, he just treats you like a dog. It's so insulting. It makes us so uncomfortable to watch it. <laughs> and the teacher's like, I keep him around because he challenges me. Mm. It's Every day, he forces me to choose a higher road, to work on compassion, to think about things. He is the most valuable person of this group. And the discomfort that he arouses in you, he's even given you a gift. Look at that. Why are you uncomfortable? This is real. And I just like that, you know. It really speaks to that uh, loving your enemy. Yeah. And, I mean, just as you were talking, I was, um, I was thinking about how... When you do have someone that's keeping you sharp, um, someone that is challenging you, that helps to form your identity, your personality, your your whatever, the being that is you. And so if we carry that to its not logical conclusion, but if we carry that to a conclusion that seems pretty logical anyway... Um, this whole gender identity thing, it seems like there's just a lack of challenge. It's like we're creating all these challenges that aren't really there just so that we can have an identity when maybe what we needed to do was learn the skills to deal with our petty tyrants. Mm -hmm. 
This is said in another way in a book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. I can't remember the authors right now. I think it's two guys. but It's, it's like a, Chris Hate. Yeah, something like and that. And somebody else. But it's a really good book. I really encourage The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, but he talks about that was probably the first place I ran into the idea of fragility versus anti-fragile. Um, he talks about how kids are being raised to be really fragile, like to not even separate like a disagreement from physical violence. They actually feel like you've done them a harm. You have attacked them. Um, they treat it like that. And so we're raising a generation of kids that are just so fragile. And this book talks about how children are actually anti-fragile. These kids, it's they're suffering from it. They're developing traumas, um, all kinds of things that are really bad for their growth and just their well-being as a human being. But in fact, we are anti-fragile, which means that we're not only neutral to, to things that uh, challenge us, we strengthen from them. So I like the image said in the book that uh, we're treating kids like they're candles, that any wind can blow them out. But what they really are are fires. It's the wind that blows them into a stronger fire. Okay, so you were saying that the kids were fragile. We're raising them to be fragile, but their true natures are anti-fragile. We as human beings thrive It's like the potential. Challenge. It's like the Harry Rollins uh, quote I started this episode mm-hmm. with. So, yeah, you Ooh. could say potential. That's part of it. Don't you just love it when our episodes somehow come together like we like worked on that for a long time? Why'd you have to blow it? <laughs> Why'd Man. you have to blow it? Man. <laughs> All right. What do you got, Teresa? You got anything you want to talk about? I really don't. I um I failed to take my cue to um get that last thing from the book, but eh, I could take it or leave it. Well, I got a couple more things. Yeah, if go you're ahead. Up for it. Yeah. Let me know when you get done talking. I'm done. No, I mean like when you're like, don't want to talk anymore for the Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I'm done. I, <laughs> I know one thing that uh, we had talked about a while back is um, the Dark Ages. Oh, yeah. And we've encountered um, several people writing about the Dark Ages in a different light, <laughs> ironic, <laughs> than we're usually taught. The Dark Ages, as we're taught, were a dark period, as in kind of bad, uncomfortable, evil even. Uh, this empty black hole in history where technology and all the good things that make civilization a great place to be um, went under or threatened. Yeah. It kind of paints the picture. I mean, even I guess it starts when you're younger, maybe, you know, you're 12 years old or something and you hear about the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. You you learn that they're also known as the Dark Ages and you're like, ooh, that's cool. It's like yeah. some fairy tale shit. As opposed to the golden age or the age of enlightenment. Yeah. So you already in your head get this feeling that the time of the dark ages was bad. Also because we're all racist and things that are dark are bad, right? I think I read that somewhere in a scholarly journal. No, I'm not racist. No. Well, I mean, me either. Mm-hmm. And so, boy, you're awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. And, uh. Yeah, so there's another picture emerging of a way to look at the Dark Ages, and it goes something like people reached a point where these constraints, this way of living that we call civilization, they recognized weren't serving them. Um, Got to be bad for their children, got to be bad for them. They wondered why they're uh, fitting into these classes, this class hierarchy, um, just this whole structure. So 
these were times when people stood up and tore it down, um, burned libraries. And, uh, you know, I'm someone who loves books. So I thought about, you know, like, wow, burning libraries. And we're always taught this is a tragic thing, like, oh, the plays that were burned. Oh, the great thoughts that we'll never know. But <laughs> do we really know this? Again and again, I keep thinking about what, uh, what has been said about literacy, that we parrot knowledge we don't possess. And I keep thinking about that. Like, I'm still reading. I still plan on reading. But there is that aspect, isn't there? Don't you run into people all the time that seem to be trying to talk about things that they don't seem to have looked at that deeply? I feel like that's something that is a direct result of these libraries, this way of collecting knowledge. And what do we do with all this knowledge? We build a civilization that looks pretty much like this. (laughs) And then we talk shit about tearing it down. Yeah. (laughs) So the Dark Ages could be times of liberation where people had had enough of civilization and... um, did away with it, you know, went back to the great mystery, went back to the uh, a simpler, natural way of living. And maybe one of the reasons why we don't have history from there. And by the way, the victors write history. The victors also include scientists, historians, archaeologists, people who resent a lack of record. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. They hate it. There's nothing written down. It's like people just did nothing. Another way of looking at this is... Maybe people just went back to living and being human. Maybe there weren't any wars during this time. There was nothing to fight over. Maybe there weren't nations and uh, the grasping aspirations of science and technology. And one of the uh, bits of evidence that kind of suggests this might be the case is Homer, who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad. And uh, I love thinking about that, you know, that Homer, a blind man, had time to compose the Odyssey, and then a sequel, (laughs) the Iliad. Does this sound like a time that people were all suffering and starving? People were apparently thriving enough that a blind man was eating and felt uh, inspired enough to write these things. That's true, yeah. Well, not write them. (laughs) To compose them orally, the oral tradition, which brings communities together. If, um, yeah, if that's true that, you know, there was a child who, I'm not sure about, I don't know the history of Homer, like if he was born blind or if he became blind from some accident or just old age. I don't age. either. But, uh, but yeah, if that is true that, you know, they were able to care for someone, then it certainly wasn't a survival and like horrible time. I mean, I guess there's degrees of how well a civilization or a culture is doing. But it's got me culture. thinking I, we could use another dark ages. Like what if we tore down all the universities these are the places indoctrinating all, the, indoctrinating all these kids to have gender questions, to uh, be fragile instead of anti-fragile. Um, it's, it's got a hugely weakening effect on us as a species. So you were like talking about how tearing down civilization wouldn't necessarily be a good idea because especially if no. you're... But, but, no, but I guess I'm, I'm getting to that. So what you're suggesting instead of like tearing it all down is like tear down specific things that a we don't need and b may improve our situation that we've gotten ourselves into yeah i i maybe can see how someone could get confused because uh because now you got to be specific because remember words have power (laughs) maybe um you know some people might hear that and like well it sounds like you're kind of like uh 
now talking about tearing it down and you said you weren't like really, you were thinking that as kind of a leftist approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does have a lot to do with what we tear down. I feel like what we're seeing from the left now is a tearing down of our values, of our, I don't want to say souls, but it's not something that threatens the structure. That's the insidiousness of it. It threatens our humanity, but not the structures. Like tipping down over these statues from the Confederacy, that doesn't threaten society. Yeah, the college campus or the, the university campus, campus actually the... would. But instead, the people are coming out of the college campuses indoctrinated with these horrible, poisonous ideologies. Um, tearing down the libraries. I'd hate to see the libraries go. Every homeless person would. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, what if we just actually had a dark ages like we just want to go back to living we want to go back to talking to people not even reading books what's in a book we just want to know what we, it takes to live and just be content yeah everything's good enough we don't need to invent anything we don't need to learn anything beyond what it takes to uh, raise our families and if we'd quit having such big ambitions i suspect that balance would start to restore itself and it wouldn't be so hard to live on this earth Teresa and I are learning at, like, a very hard level. This earth is decimated. Everything is, like, second or third growth forests. Um, so many of the resources that used to be here, uh, herds of buffalo, even here in North Carolina, passenger pigeons, um, chestnuts, um, great white pines that you could make a shelter with by just cutting down, like, you know, not so many of them because they're so big. Mm. For me to make an equivalent shelter, I've got to cut down a lot of trees. Just things like that. So, man, if we just stopped all this, boy, how quickly would the, the world start to heal? So I'm going to start promoting the Dark Ages. I'm going to come up with a campaign. I may, I may, I can't make any promises. Don't hold me to this. I may run for president. Okay. This might be my announcement. This is my first announcement. For 2024? 2024. I'm going to run on a Dark Ages platform. <laughs> Shit. Why didn't I think of this before? Oh, that's such a Scorpio thing to do also. I mean, I can't put uh, two thoughts together, but Biden kind of paved the way for our, our types. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I the think floodgate, I can still do it. The floodgate has opened. Yeah. Did I say Dr. Oz was like... Dr. Oz lost, lost to a guy that had has problems communicating now because of a stroke or something? Yeah. And apparently he wasn't really with it before the stroke from Yeah, I don't know anything about the guy, but um, yeah, it was just like, Dr. Oz, what the hell? And uh, yeah, I guess we're winding down, so I'll... Uh, you know, yeah, I'd, please, let's not get into that. <laughs> let's not get into what? <laughs> that uh, political shit. Oh, I don't even know anything about that other than what we just shared. But uh, yeah, I got to say, we're getting into the cold, dark season of the year. The dark and, ages. <laughs> not that kind of dark. That's the way we're taught to look at it, like winter. But no, it's more like, here's the way we need, oh, here's the way I'd sell the Dark Ages. We need to get away from that cold winter feeling of the Dark Ages. We need to make it more like a soft summer night where all the city lights are turned off and we can see the stars again. Ooh. That's the Dark Ages. Ooh. That's the Dark Age I'm talking about. Mm, it's a time to get back to being human. Amen. That's exactly what it would be. Aww. It could be your first hobo S. No, I was afraid you'd assume that. No, certainly not. And, um, 
I may have to take Sherlock for vice president. No. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, the dark that we're getting into, the uh, time of year, this is where it starts to weigh on me a little bit. I feel it more. How about you, Teresa? You feeling the shortness of the days yet? I am. Um, a lot of the things that I do during the day, it just seems like, whoo, you have to do it really fast in the winter. And um, I've learned some things, but like right now, I'm eating up my time for making coffee for tomorrow morning. So, yeah. So that's like what you learn and then what you have to kind of put to the side. I was talking more of like an emotional level. Like I, I have to, the older I get, the harder that the winter is. It becomes sort of like running a gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, all right, here we go. This is the middle of the tunnel. This is where the, the nights are the longest, the long dark night of the soul. And there's a lot of demons in the middle of the tunnel. I know like at 40, did I just turn 46? I think so. Damn, I am old. Mm-hmm. So at 46, you old. at 46, um, I have seen enough winters that I kind of get a little like uh, worried about them. Not worried. Not worried is not the right thing. But yeah, they're tough. And you know, all those demons come up, all those like regrets, past memories, um, just, you know, moods, moods that kind of roll in like a fog and you're just kind of in the middle of it. Uh, it can be really hard to kind of see in the middle of the tunnel when it's the darkest. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm kind of getting in that mood as winter gets here where we're nearing the solstice of like, I kind of feel myself stealing up for it, you know, like, all right, here we go, man. It's going to be cold. It's going to be dark and I'm going to be in a bad mood a lot. So Yay. I got to navigate that. And Teresa's going to put me in a bad mood most of the time, like so. generally. So, yeah. But at uh, least it's shorter days. So. I was just going to say one other thing about that. I the... just got to not think of Gabby Petito. Oh, God. <laughs> That's violence. No, I'm not thinking of Gabby You did Petito. a violence to me. That the days, like I said, about everything having to go faster, you know, like as soon as I'm done with this, I got to be doing this because I only have so much daylight. But then it balances out in a way because of that super long, dark night. So for me... Um, I just take advantage as much as I can. I mean, it's hard, but I take advantage of that extra dark time to uh, to really relax, like relax my brain and, yeah, and just use it as kind of like a uh, restructuring time for for thoughts and feelings and all that sort of shit. Yeah, I try to do that as well. I just am uh, saying it's difficult, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, winter has its power, and that that is the time of renewal. It's sort of like a little death, and I guess that's why it becomes harder for me as I get older, is I can feel that aspect of it more and more. You go through a little kind of, almost a practice for death in the middle of winter as you go through that. And then you're reborn in the spring, you know? That's when all the diuretics come up, and you, you <laughs> eat the diuretics, you pee more, you poop more. You, fl- you actually have a physical flushing out, but there's a spiritual flushing out, I believe, that happens as well. Um but yeah, first you got to go through it. It's kind of like what we talk about. The bad is what makes the good good. Mm-hmm. Without winter, um, we wouldn't appreciate the the fruit, the leaves, yeah, the warmer seasons. But man, we got to go through it. The longer days. And I guess conversely, without summer, we wouldn't appreciate the winter. Mm-hmm. Time to just kind of be in bed more, read more. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, as far as skills we've been working on this week, we had a really cold rainy day, and I was talking about building my chimney, and uh, 
it got pretty smoky. So if you've ever been around a wood stove or anything, you know that sometimes cold air can be heavier and then especially cold rainy air. So even with a wood stove, I'd have it kick back smoke on days like that. So it's pretty smoky. Um, got to uh, tweak that. I just wanted to share that update since we're trying to kind of share tips and how things go with uh, trying to live with some of these uh, skills. Um, we made grass mats, and I made a doggy bed for Sherlock. Yeah. So I'm trying out all these new techniques on the dog bed. I still don't know if he will uh, sleep in it, but I'm trying notching for the cedar logs, uh, making a pattern with some of the cordage I find, mainly landscaping twine, to make sort of a mattress, a springy mattress. And then the grass mats, we've got so many uses for. I made one grass mat and turned one of my little uh, bushcraft chairs into a throne just to sit in front of the fireplace. <laughs> so comfy. I'm going to make uh, Sherlock a big old thick grass mat doggy bed. Hello, Mockingbird. My Miss Polyglottos. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, how about you, Teresa? What about your grass mat? What do you think about it? No, oh, it was uh, it was difficult. We actually were surprised because um, where the broom sedge was last time, the forest has grown up. So now the broom sedge is gone. So we had to walk a little further until we got to another patch. Um, and then the collection of it, I should have worn a glove because uh, my hand looks like a cat scratched it up from the grasses. But... Um, but I didn't get any chiggers on me, so that was a bright spot. And my grass mat is really thick. It's the thickest grass mat I've ever made. So I'm I'm hoping it doesn't get, like, rot from the inside. I hope it lasts a long time because it's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty uh, plush. Yeah, and Teresa had an insight a while back that I thought was a really uh, deep thought. And it was that Uh-oh. products beget products oh yeah that was good so you know for instance we uh the example that we most recently ran into was when Teresa used soap um traveling with her mom in hotel rooms she came back and the mosquitoes were all over so it'd be tempting to get the bug spray bug spray bug spray <laughs> yeah spray them screeters <laughs> bug spray yo the screeters so yeah so a product begets products you use one product and because of the use of that one you will tend to uh, feel like you need another one Mm -hmm. i realize there's a similar kind of thing but different with wilderness survival skills Um, survival projects feed survival projects Mm. the grass mat's a really good example i made grass mats teresa and i both did actually when we first met like that was one of our first like uh, my little clever ways to date Teresa. Hey, you want to go make grass mats? <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> she does now. <laughs> so we made grass mats, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, they will last about two years. It's a simple thing to make. I use broom sedge and I just use square knots. And that's all you need to know. And you make a really nice grass mat. It's got so many applications. I use it to meditate on. I'll roll up one half of it. Zafu and Zabuton. Put my butts, butt up. My butt's up. And uh, sit cross-legged on the part that's still flat. You can use it for a mattress laying out in the yard. You can put it on a chair. I mean, just so many uses. You can make a door out of it, a rug. Um, you can even cut a tin can with it. No, you can't. I, I can't. I can't back that up. And But after two years, it's starting to rot, and you finally can't use it as grass mat anymore. Now it's time for survival cement. So oh, maybe you're making in. a chimney. Make it, maybe you're making um, uh, just chinking the, the cracks in your shelter. Maybe you're making a oven, a forge, all kinds of things with uh, survival cement. And f- survival cement is 50-50 mud and grassy materials. Here's your grass mat. 
So it's so cool to see how these uh, skills, these projects I make, will prove useful for like several incarnations. Hmm. Projects beget projects. Yeah. So it reminded me of what you said about products. Uh, it was cool to realize that I think underneath what we're talking about, the thing that impl- applies to both of them mm-hmm. is momentum. Mm-hmm. Right? Can yeah. you see that? Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to say before we close up this episode? I think we're uh, getting cold and ready to do I stuff. I know. Those, those dark shadows of the dark ages are upon us. That's where my demons lie. That's where my and we just came back from the lake, so we got all cleaned and scrubbed up. And clean is a relative term oh, yeah. in the hobo world. That is true. Cleaner. Yeah. All right. Do you want me to read the listener right in? All right. We have a listener right oh. in here. Yeah, let me get it. So, huh. We have Teresa from Fuquay Varina. Huh. Is <laughs> anybody you know, Teresa? Uh, I might know. I I don't know how well I do know. All right. Well, let's see what she has to say. And uh, I'm going to try to do this in my best Teresa voice. Oh, oh God. So here I go. <clears throat> hey, Gumby. I just wanted to say what a great job you're doing on the podcast, especially since we started back up again this season. Even with shorter days, you're cranking out some awesome shit. And how do you keep such a fine physique? You can tell me later. (coughs) Oh, my God. Man, that was hard to do that (laughs) voice. Did I do pretty well? Yeah, I guess so. It's. It's hard for, you know, when you do my voice. It's it's funny, but it's kind of yeah. hard to hear yourself. I've been practicing. I still haven't quite got it right, but <clears throat> I hear her every day. It's good. Every day. It's good. So, all right. I guess that uh, finishes us up. Uh, anything you want to say as a final salute? Mm, I, I really can't think of anything. I'm too cold. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Because we'll be gone over that next horizon. We ain't got no 